Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au have your Bibles, please turn with me to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, I want to read from verse 1. The Bible says this, another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. And Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. Stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. And then the Pharisees went out and began to plot how they might kill Jesus. And so, Father, I just thank you for this, your word. Be glorified today, I pray. There be freedom to preach the word. Let there be nothing in me that hinders this word. Bind every spirit of fear and intimidation. Let there be a, 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 a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can understand your word, the principles of your word, that in the midst of all the words, we're going to hear your voice. Be glorified today, I pray. And I thank you for what you're going to do. I thank you that you will speak, that our lives will be changed, that there's going to be a thought today that's going to, it's going to change how we live our lives. It's going to change our eternal destinies. And I thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I want to continue with the theme, uh, the power of love. We began last Sunday, Easter Sunday. And by the way, what an amazing services we had last, sun, last week. I mean, it's just unbelievable. We had, uh, in the three services, we had over a thousand people that walked through church. So, I don't know, some of them came twice. Um, some people even came for three times. I mean, they just sat through three services. Just amazing. But just an, an, amazing, an amazing weekend of services. Can we just give a hand to all of those that actually helped make that all possible? Just uh, all the volunteers, the worship team, and so on. So proud of... Um, so proud of the team that we have here at church. So I want to continue with the theme, the power of love. Last week we spoke about the power of love in transforming the world that we're living in today. If, we're, if there's something that we can do to change the world that we're living in, I believe one of the greatest things that we have is, is love, is the love of Jesus. When the Romans tried to inflict the most humiliating pain on Jesus at the cross, Jesus responded not with revenge and or retaliation, but he, he responded with love. It's not so much even what Jesus did, it's what he didn't do. He could have called a legion of angels to come down and deliver him and zap those people that were torturing him, but he didn't do any of that. Instead, he said, Father, forgive them because they haven't got a clue what they're doing. That's the heart of Jesus. Imagine, he's in excruciating pain on the cross, and as he's there on the cross, he's thinking, Lord, forgive them because they haven't got a clue what they're doing. And in so doing, Jesus was teaching an important principle. We don't overcome evil with more evil, but we, come, we overcome evil with love. And greatest weapon in the Christian arsenal is love. It's not the kind of love that's being talked about in the world today. It's just an excuse for sin. I'm not talking about that kind of love. 
I'm talking about the love that Jesus speaks about that's described in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 13 where it talks about love is patient and it's kind and you know, it keeps no record of wrongs and so on. It's the kind of love we're speaking about, the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated. Now, that doesn't mean we become doormats, but our response is always motivated by a spirit of love. The early church understood the power of love, which is why they spoke about it all the time. Paul said to the Philippians, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. It's Paul praying for the church in Philippi, and he's saying of all the things he could have prayed, he said, I pray that your love may abound more and more. That, 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 that the way you love, the way you demonstrate love, I just, I just pray that it's going gonna, it's gonna to abound more and more. Not only that, but that your knowledge and depth of insight in relation to love would grow, that you would understand what the power of love actually is. The power of love to transform the human heart. The power of love to transform the workplace we're working in. The power of love to transform the neighborhood. The power of love to change the world that we're living in, where the natural reaction is, is revenge and hatred. When someone does something bad to us, the natural reaction is to retaliate and, and, and push back. But, but, but when, we, when we push back with love, it blows people's minds away. They can't understand. How could anyone respond like this? And Paul says to the Philippians, I could go through Thessalonians, I could go through Galatians, I could go through all of the letters and you'll see that Paul again and again speaks about love. The Apostle John said, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. How do we demonstrate love? It's not just about the words, it's also about how we behave. In fact, how we behave can be stronger than the words that we speak. One of the dangers of speaking about love is that we see it in a, as a, as a one-dimensional construct. We always see love in terms of being caring and merciful and affectionate and accepting. And... But there is another side to love that we don't often talk about. And I believe we need to talk about it because the Bible actually talks about it. Yes, love is affirming and affectionate and accepting and... But at times, love can also be firm. Sometimes love can look like discipline. Sometimes love can look like a confrontation. Sometimes love can even look like anger. For example, sometimes the most loving thing a, a parent can do for a child who's an addict is check them into a treatment center against their will. Sometimes the most loving thing a person can do to someone they love is to speak the truth. Be firm. It's to say you can't keep doing this. It's to say you need to get help. And so the question I want to explore today is can love get angry? And if so, what does that look like? So to help us answer this question, we're going we're gonna to look at a few passages in Scripture. It's gone quiet in here all of a sudden. My goodness, you make me nervous, guys. Just turn to the person next to you and say, it's going to be okay, all right? No, no, it's going to be good today. It's going to be fine. No one's going to get angry with anyone, all right? So it's just, that's really just all cool. So we're going to look at four passages of Scripture. I'm going to give them to you first, and then we're going to tease out two or three principles out of there that I pray will speak to us and, 
um, and uh, kind of give us a right perspective of this topic that we're speaking about. So the first passage is a familiar passage. It was when Jesus cleared the temple. If there was someone who embodied love, it was Jesus. The Bible says God is love and Jesus was the embodiment of that love, the personification of love. You want to see what love looked like? Look at the life of Jesus. And we often think of Jesus as someone blue eyes, long hair, holding lambs on his shoulder. But that perception of Jesus is disturbed when you start to read the Gospels. The Bible says just before Jesus went to the cross, he entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the, and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. And I just want you to kind of picture the scene that Jesus comes into the temple. There's people everywhere because, because they're about to celebrate the, the Passover. And at this particular time, Jerusalem swelled with people and there's people everywhere. And Jesus is in this scene and he's, and he's getting the tables and he's, he's overturning them. And in one of the gospels, he says he made a whip and drove them out. Wow. <laughs> Jesus has one of those moments. Anybody had one of those moments where, you know, just, <laughs> just, you just, in Italian, we say jingo minuti. You know, you get those five minutes where it's usually you know it's one or two minutes where it just turn. Jesus has one of these moments you know where what happened to talk to them nicely could you please move your tables maybe Jesus should have read how to win friends and influence people by you know can't eat maybe that would have helped Jesus in no Jesus comes out and he overturns the tables and the passage goes on to say and the blind and the lame came to him and he healed them Matthew wants us to know what happened next. It's not just the overturning of the tables. Matthew wants us to know what happened. What happened next? The blind and the lame came to him and he healed them. Second passage is when Jesus healed a man with a shriveled hand. We just read it in our text. Jesus was in the temple, the Sabbath. There was a man there with a shriveled hand. The Bible says some of them were looking um, for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely. See if he would heal him on the Sabbath. It's bizarre. <laughs> it's bizarre that these guys are there. Jesus is in the door. And what are they watching? They're watching to see if, if, if Jesus would heal this guy so they could accuse him. It's bizarre. Not, wow, he must be the son of God. No, what, not what an incredible miracle. Jesus, no, no. They, they, they were watching to see if he heals him so they could accuse him. So we need to understand the context. Uh, the Sabbath was an Old Testament command. The spirit behind the command was it was a gift of rest. We're going to look at that in a few weeks. It was to be kept holy, a day to connect with God. The Pharisees had come up with all these laws about, you know, how the Sabbath was to be kept and honored. So Jesus, uh, you'll know the fourth commandment is keep the Sabbath. But what the, what the Pharisees had done, they had all these extra rules about how to keep the Sabbath. One of those laws was, you can't heal on the Sabbath because it, it was considered work. So Jesus feels the tension in the room. And so what does Jesus do? Well, what he should have done really was had a chat with the guys, backed off a bit, you know, respected their traditions, try and find some middle ground. Jesus does none of that. He saw their hypocrisy and the Bible says, Jesus says to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up. And listen carefully, because this is in the Bible. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. 
and said, stretch out your hand, and he healed him. The man's hand was completely restored. Third passage comes from the Old Testament. It's found in Amos 5. It's God speaking to the Israelites about their feasts and rituals. Amos says, I hate, I despise your religious, this is God speaking through Amos. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I'm not listening to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. Just the context. I read this morning uh, in, in another passage of scripture that kind of go alongside of this. God begins to, to speak and it's the same kind of terminology about anger and wrath. But you've got to understand what the people of Israel were doing. These, the, these Israelites at this particular time, they're offering sacrifices to the, to the God of Baal. Uh, some of them are offering their children as sacrifices to the gods of Baal. And then they're coming into the presence of God and they're also offering sacrifices to God. And they're also singing songs and observing the festivals. And God says to them, I can't stand any of it. Hear this, you who trample the needy, and do away with the poor of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain and the Sabbath be ended, that we may market wheat, skimping on the measure, boosting the price and cheating with dishonest scales? Skimping on the measure, boosting the price and cheating with dishonest scales. Does it kind of sound familiar? Kind of, there's, a, there's a New Testament, there's a New Testament kind of um, version of this. It happened at the temple. It's exactly what was happening. Buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. Many people can see that God wasn't happy with the people of Israel. They were so obsessed with becoming rich that they would sell the sweepings with wheat. The poor were so desperate for food. So in other words, the, the wheat would fall on the floor, they'd sweep it up. And so in the sweepings was a bit of wheat, but a lot of dust. And they were selling it to the poor. The poor were so desperate, they would buy it. And God says... This is making me angry. <laughs> One final passage comes from Hebrews. Passage says, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you um, as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you. <laughs> Anybody ever <laughs> not lost heart when God... <laughs> it's great to read. It's just easy to, it's tough to do. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So let's do a word. You guys are too quiet. Let's do a word association game, okay? So I'm going to give you a word. And uh, when I say this word, what's the first word that comes into your mind? Okay, just, just whatever word it is that first pops into your mind, just... So the first word is food. What's the first word that comes into your mind? <laughs> so just quickly turn the person next to you. Just tell them roughly what kind of food. What was the food? That, <laughs> was it a sweet? Was it a savory? What was it? You know, some of you are starting to think lunch. Saliva coming out of your mouth. Settle. Here's the second word, holiday. What's the, what's, okay, it's enough. It's enough. We're up to the second word. Second word is holiday. What's the first word that comes into your mind when you think Holiday, Hawaii, the Gold Coast, anywhere, just not at work. Okay, here's the third word. You ready? Quiet, listening, focus. Here's the third word. What's the first word that comes into your mind when I say the word love? What's the first word that comes into your mind? 
when I say the word love. If discipline was the first word that came to your mind, maybe you need to have a chat with me later, okay? <laughs> you probably have a chat. <laughs> it's got a few problems. According to Hebrews, however, love and discipline can coexist. Because sometimes God disciplines those he loves. So what do we learn from these texts? First principle is righteous anger is always motivated by love for others, not self. Righteous anger is always motivated by love for others, not self. Righteous anger is never selfish. There's a big difference between selfish anger, righteous anger. Selfish anger is always motivated by selfish interests. See this on the road. You cut me off. You see it in restaurants, you know, my food, my, it's taken a long time for the food to come out, you know. My food is hot, my food is cold. It's not what I ordered. People lose it. Call the waiter over. <laughs> selfish anger is always motivated by selfish interest. To, um, you see it in marriage as well. You, you need to listen to me. You need to respect me. You need to respect me. And selfish anger is always destructive. Righteous anger, on the other hand, is motivated by the well-being of others and is always constructive. It always builds and is always motivated by the well-being of other people, never your own. When Jesus got angry, it revealed not his love for himself, but his love for others. Look at the examples in scriptures. Jesus didn't turn over the tables because he was having a bad day, because he got ticked off a little bit. Jesus overturned the tables because the leaders in the temple did not have the spirit of the temple. They were working in the temple, but they did not have the heart of the temple. They were profiteering from an ordinance that God had established, a command that God had established the Passover. And here they were profiteering from that. People, could come, uh, people would come at the time of the Passover to sacrifice a lamb, a dove. I think I said this last week. But before they could do that, they had to go to a booth to get the sacrifice approved. Is the sacrifice good enough to be able to be used? Inevitably, the person at the booth would say, well, it wasn't suitable, but we have some animals here that you can buy at three, four, five times what it would normally cost. And by the way, you need to use the temple money, so go and change your money first. Temple would become a place of scheming and, uh, and scamming. And Jesus, seeing all of this, gets angry and he, and he begins to overturn the tables. And he said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You're making it a den of robbers, but you're making it a den of robbers. It was to be called a, ha- a house of prayer, but you've made it into a den of robbers. See, the temple was supposed to be a place where people could connect with God. It was supposed to be a place where people could get closer to God, could get closer to the presence of God, the heart of God. Instead, they were being taken advantage of. So Jesus defends them and he, and he overturns the tables. The second example, there's a man with a with a withered hand, and it's, and it's the Sabbath, and Jesus wasn't supposed to heal on the Sabbath. And, G- and Jesus knew that this was, this was going to tick the Pharisees off. He knew, he knew that it could cost him. He, he, he knew that it could cost him his life. It did cost him his life because of these kind of things. But he wasn't motivated by selfish gain. He didn't think to himself, listen, if I heal this guy... These Pharisees are going to get angry. Then they're going to come after me. You know what? Don't worry about it. 
Now, Jesus was not motivated by selfish gain. He was motivated by the interests of others. He sees this man that was suffering with, with, with a shriveled hand from the time he was born. And so he says, the best thing I can do here is heal this man. And he does. And he does. Passage of Isaiah, God confronts the people of Israel. They were selling sweepings, dirt mixed with wheat to the poor. And the poor were so desperate, they would buy it. But the Israelites, well, they looked all religious, didn't they? God says to them, don't come to me with your religious festivals. Your assemblies, they stink. Can't stand your burnt offerings, don't want to hear your songs. God says to them, do what is right. Let your words and your actions match. <laughs> do what is right. He gives them, a, he confronts them with a strong word. To whom might this kind of anger look like love, feel like love? Maybe to the poor who were being ripped off? Maybe when they looked at, 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 at this, they would have said, wow, that's a ba- thank you. Maybe to the person with the withered hand? Maybe to the Gentiles and the sick who were never going to get close to the presence of God. To them, Jesus' actions were an expression of love. a number of Greek words for anger. Thumos is one of them, which describes explosive anger. <laughs> Some people are exploders. Anybody an exploder? Don't, don't answer. Live with it. Don't, don't answer. So, it's just explosive anger. Then there's paragasmos. They're not the exploders. They're the imploders. They're the smiling assassins, you know. <laughs> they are fuming <laughs> with a smile. And then there's another Greek word, it's called orgy, which is anger mixed with grief. It's triggered when someone you love and something you're committed to is hurt or is violated. It's a righteous anger that leads people to act on behalf of those they love. Think of all the people that Jesus could, could have got angry with. He was betrayed, criticized, abandoned, unjustly, persecuted, Pilate, Herod, the disciples. Think about what what the disciples did. Jesus was with them for three years and then last minute when he needed them the most, they abandoned him. Jesus could have lost it at them. But he never got angry at them. Jesus got angry for those he loved the most. Pastor Joe, is it okay to get angry? The Bible says, in your anger, don't sin. There's a way to be angry and for it not to be destructive or hurtful or damaging. And one of the marks of righteous anger is it's always motivated by love for others. It's never selfish. Selfish anger is always destructive. Righteous anger is always constructive. It always builds up. It's never about the self. It's always about others. Second principle is righteous anger always leads to restoration and healing. Selfish anger always leads to more fighting and bitterness and deeper wounds. Purpose of selfish anger is to wound and to hurt. When people, get, when people lose it, um, it's to wound and hurt. Jesus' anger, on the other hand, always brought healing. In all the examples in Scripture, when Jesus got angry, you never saw him yell, scream. It always led to healing. 
Jesus and the temple. He's overturning the tables. What's interesting is that Jesus did this in what's called the courtyard of the Gentiles. Um, just to understand the temple, I think I've spoken about this in the last few weeks, but just a reminder, the temple was divided into six ascending courtyards. In one section, the Gentiles, the sick, the poor, the marginalized, those who could not afford an offering would be in the courtyard of the Gentiles. And then in the next section, only Jews, in the next section, only men, in the next section, only the priests, and then in the next section, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. So where was Jesus? When all this happened, when this overturning of the tables happened, where was Jesus? Where would you expect Jesus to be? I would have expected him to be with the with the with the high priest, or at least with the with the with the priests, because that's where the big shots are. Where was Jesus? I'll tell you where Jesus was. He was in the courtyard of the Gentiles. And Jesus, after overturning the tables, the Bible says, the blind and the lame came to him and he healed them. When Jesus got angry, People were healed and restored. In the second passage, Jesus can see that the religious elite are fuming. They hate the fact that he's in the room and, and Jesus knows what they're thinking. And he looked around at them in anger and he says to the man, stretch out your hand. And he healed him. Every time Jesus got angry, people were healed. Every time Jesus got angry, people were restored. When God confronted the Israelites in Hosea, the cheating was exposed, hypocrisy was called out, and the poor and the hurting were defended. Pastor Joe, is it okay to get angry? Of course it is. The Bible says it's okay to get angry, but, don't, but in your anger, do not sin, the Bible says. Well, how can we make sure that doesn't happen? Well, make sure your anger is always motivated by a desire to bring healing and restoration to do good. Conflict resolution, and we do have conflict. Conflict is never the problem. Some people, you know, worried about conflict. No one likes conflict. I, I tell people all the time, I speak to leaders, I say, listen, if you enjoy uh, conflict, there's a problem. But if you're afraid to face conflict, that's also a problem. Um, conflict is never the problem. It's always how we deal with it. It's our motivation behind how we deal with the conflict. It's our spirit that we enter into, into this, this phase that's so important. And in, and in conflict resolution, the most important part is the goal. It's the spirit which we enter in. What's the goal of conflict resolution? Is it to prove you're right, shame the other person, humiliate them, give them a piece of your mind? Because if that's what it is, all that's going to do is deepen the conflict and cause wounds and hatred. Goal in conflict resolution... If it's going to be successful, it must always be healing and restoration. We've got to find a way through this. Because that's when God's love is demonstrated. One final principle is righteous anger is always grounded in love. God confronted the people of Israel in Amos. It wasn't about the hypocrisy. It wasn't about the sin. It wasn't God venting at the Israelites. It was about the damage the sin was doing to the people he loved the most. And his confrontation was motivated by his love for them, that they might repent, turn back to God, experience the blessing and the favor of God. It's, it's God saying to them, what, why are you doing what you're doing? Come back to me. Oh, there's so much I have for you. Confrontation that is motivated by a spirit of love is always going to build, always going to encourage. It's always going to add value. It's always going to be good.
Proverbs says, like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It doesn't say as silk sharpens silk, because silk doesn't sharpen anything. It just feels really, really good. When you strike iron and iron together, sparks begin to fly. Heat is generated. But the result is the, 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 the iron becomes sharper. We become sharper. Sometimes God will use the strong challenge of a tough, loving friend who loves us enough to tell us just what we need to hear. Not just what we want to hear. To hear the truth. And sometimes that person is a, a friend, a husband, a wife, a mum, a dad, a teacher, a pastor, leader. And to someone who values feedback, it's like an earring of gold, says the Proverbs. Writer to the Hebrews says, have you not forgotten completely the word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. And no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, he produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Writer to the Hebrew says discipline is painful. I mean, it's very clear. No, no one enjoys discipline. It's, it's awful. But when it's grounded in love, when the basis of it is love, it has the power to produce, says the writer to the Hebrews, it has the power to produce a harvest of righteousness that would not be produced apart from the discipline. It's not only true of how God deals with us, it's also true of how we, we're to treat people that we love in our lives. Every parent has experienced this at some point where out of love for your children, you've had to provide Appropriate discipline, set boundaries, is to say no. A lot of parents want to be friends with their, with their children, want to be mates. No, we're called to be parents. And the reason why we're parents is because we can see longer and further and we can see consequences that they can't see. We're called to be parents. Yes, we want to be friends. And yes, all of that. But ultimately, we're called to be parents. And if we truly love our children, there are times where we're going to say no. And it's going to hurt them. There are times where as parents, out of love, we will, we will enforce consequences. Sometimes the most loving thing we can do to the people we love is speak the truth. It's to be firm. It's to set boundaries. It's to say you can't keep doing this. This behavior's got to stop. Sometimes the most loving thing we can do does not look like love at all. But when discipline is grounded in love, it can, it can, it can produce a harvest of righteousness. It's like an earring of gold. We could be sharper because of it. One of the concerns I have with a message like this, as I was writing it, is that there might be some people licking their lips right now. <laughs> Been waiting for a message like this. <laughs> 
Some people seem to have a gift in giving people a piece of their mind. If that's you, maybe the best thing is keep the piece of your mind to yourself. Because if you, if you keep giving people a piece of your mind, you're not going to have any left. You know what I mean? You're going to give it all away. If you find yourself getting angry a lot, that is, it's not, not a sin to be angry. But if you find yourself getting angry a lot, you need to stop and reflect. Ask yourself, why am I so angry? Just time out. I know you think it's that person and the other person and, and everybody else around you. The whole world is a problem. I know that. But, but you've got to stop and ask yourself, well, what, why, why so angry? And who am I really angry with? The road rage guy is not angry with the other driver. It happened yesterday. I wasn't moving fast enough in the road. And the guy behind me, beep, beep. <laughs> I mean, really? <laughs> we weren't moving. The, the, the stop sign was red. We couldn't go any further. You wouldn't go anywhere. But I was maybe a couple of cars, you know, a car distance in front, whatever. Beep, beep, beep. Well, there it is. <laughs> so I got out of the car. <laughs> and then I remembered I was going to preach today, so I walked back in my car. No, I'm only joking. I wouldn't do that. The road rage incident is an opportunity for the person to vent the anger that is deep inside. That has absolutely nothing to do with the other driver. It can be anger with a parent, a spouse, a boss, even self. How do you know if you have an issue with anger? Well, you're angry about everything and everyone. You heard this story about the guy who goes to the doctor, doctor of pain everywhere. No matter where I touch, I mean, pain. Doctor says you've got a broken finger. <laughs> That's your problem. <laughs> I thought you heard it before. Like some people, they're angry with everybody. Well, let's see, who's the common denominator in all of those situations? Oh, it's right, you. <laughs> How do you know if you have an issue with anger? You're angry with everything, everyone. You have a trigger temper. Zero to a hundred, like you're faster than a Ferrari. <laughs> and you can feel the anger, by the way. It's true. You can feel it coming. You get some warning signs when it's coming. You can feel it. <laughs> and you know that if you don't do something there, something's going to come out of your mouth or you're going to do something that you're going to regret. Best time as you feel it coming is to say, I need to get out of here as fast as I can. Go for a walk. Let your brain settle. Because when that's happening, blood is rushing to your brain and you don't think clearly anymore. Get out of there as fast as you can. It takes about 20 minutes for your brain to settle again and then you're thinking straight again. You have a trigger temper. Or maybe someone close to you has told you, you've got an issue with anger. If that's you, can I just encourage you to find someone to help you unpack the anger? It's okay, it's okay. Maybe there's a wound that needs healing. You, most times there is. You just got to get to the wound. It's the wound deep in there somewhere. You just got to get to it. Pain that needs to be expressed. Person that needs to be forgiven. Allow the Holy Spirit to minister healing. When Jesus, when people met Jesus, no one ever went away saying, wow, angry guy. <laughs> you be careful what you say around him. <laughs> could lose it. <laughs> no one ever went around saying that. 
His anger revealed what he loved the most. And what he loved the most was people. I remember one time I was with this pastor and he asked me a question. He says, what do you see in me that I, that I need to deal with? What do, what, what do you think I need to change? Well, I was speechless. <laughs> no one ever asked me a question like this before. No pastor ever said this kind of a question. I was shocked. <laughs> shocked for a couple of reasons. One, I thought, this person trusts me enough to ask me this very personal question. They feel safe enough to ask me such a question. I was so overwhelmed. I, I just felt so humbled, overwhelmed. I, I felt like it was a sacred moment. I can't remember what I didn't think. I, I don't think I said anything to the guy. You're amazing. You're fantastic. You're great. <laughs> Never be afraid to ask God if there is something that needs to change in you. Never be afraid that God is going to come to your house and overturn the tables. <laughs> Yell at you, point his finger at you, put you down. The Bible says the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. He's abounding in love. Slow to anger, abounding in love. Anger is God's last resort. He only got angry with the people of Israel because he kept warning them, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Stop doing this, it's not good for you. And he's, and he's telling them out of love. And they kept ignoring him. Jesus only got angry with the Pharisees because the Bible tells us exactly why Jesus got angry with the Pharisees. He got angry with them because they had a stubborn heart. Imagine they have Jesus in the room that's about to heal someone and they're more interested in their own well-being than they are in the person being healed. So many of us see love as a one-dimensional construct. But it isn't. There are, there are two sides to love. John describes Jesus overflowing with tender mercy and truth. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus to the woman caught in adultery. Go and sin no more. It's balance of mercy and truth, grace and truth. You read through the New Testament, you will always see those two words being put together. Grace and truth, mercy and truth. I want you to know that God loves you. He loves you with tender mercy. He cares about you. He thinks the world of you. The Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. That's what he thinks about you. He can't even imagine what he has prepared for you. The future that he has for you. And when you surrender your life to Jesus, when you invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you're going to experience the abounding love and the grace and the mercy of God. You're going to experience acceptance, forgiveness, mercy. It's going to blow your mind away. Not only will you experience that side of love, but God loves us so much that if he, when he sees behavior that's destructive, attitudes that need to change, decisions that we're making that are going to destroy us in the long run, Jesus loves us enough that at times he will challenge us with truth because the Lord disciplines those he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as his son, but don't be discouraged. 
Because the purpose is always for good, for healing, for restoration. It's always for your good. God's never thinking about Himself. He's always thinking about you and me. He's thinking about our well-being. It's always to bring healing, blessing, so that we can be everything that God has created us to be by His grace and for His glory. God never breaks us for breaking, per, for, 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 for just to break us. Let me break them. The purpose of breaking is always blessing. Yesterday I heard a message on, you know, the, the five loaves and two fish. And the bread had to be broken. Before, before the miracle could take place, the bread had to be broken. We'll talk a little bit about this next week. But the bread had to be broken. The only reason why God breaks us at times because he wants to shape us so that he can use us to be a blessing to us. Never be afraid of God. Never be afraid of God. He loves you and cares about you and wants to use you for his glory. Can I hear an amen? I pray today that we're going to walk out of this place understanding the spirit of the message. Amen. I don't want any phone calls this week about, you know, he, he lost it at me. She lost it. I don't want any of those kind of phone calls this week. All right. I pray we've understood the spirit of the message. Can I hear an amen? Let's stand together. So Lord, I just thank you for this word. Forgive us at times, Lord God, because we've just seen love as a one-dimensional construct. We've been afraid to speak the truth. Forgive us, God. Help us to understand your word. Help us to understand the spirit of your word. Father, I just pray that as we go from this place, that we would, that we would digest this message, that it would be the kind of message that we go away and really think and meditate on, chew over. Because, Lord, we don't, we don't want our anger to be destructive, ever, 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 ever. We always want to... Be agents of your love and grace and mercy. So just help us to understand your word and how it translates into the situations that we're facing in our lives. Father, for those who may be struggling with anger, I pray, Holy Spirit, just come. They would have the courage and the confidence to pray a simple prayer. Lord, would you open my eyes, shine your light on this, Help me to understand what this is really all about. And in so doing, find healing for their soul. We love you so much, God. We love you so much, Lord God. Be glorified, I pray, in and through our lives. And this we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You have a great week and we see you next week. Amen.